Hey everyone, Dave Hagen here. The journey from debt to financial wellness includes more than just your finances. It also includes your emotions. Today I want to talk about one emotion in particular, guilt, and why I love it. Surprised? That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here's your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Thanks, Nick. Throughout my many years of practice, I've sat in front of thousands of people and listened as they told me their financial histories. But in the words they choose and in their body language and in their eye contact, or even, frankly, their lack of eye contact. They're telling me their emotional stories as well. Hints as to what they've been feeling and experiencing, some for many, many, many years. In my upcoming series, From Debt to Financial Wellness, The Emotional Journey, we'll talk about the five stages people pass through and the patterns of emotions that exist in each. Some emotions may only exist in one or two stages. Guilt exists in all five stages. So debilitating, so destructive, but also so powerful and able to create good. So let's begin by looking at guilt right in its eyes. When I sit down with a couple, one spouse will very often be dishing out a lot of guilt to the other. Sometimes it gets so bad it prevents the couple from actually dealing with the problems at hand. I don't know how many times I've had to pull couples back and focus them on fixing the situation they're in rather than laying blame as to how they got into that situation. But as an experienced attorney, I can do it with five simple words. I bill by the hour. Now, when a parent comes in with an adult child, there's obviously a different power dynamic than in a spousal relationship. But there's guilt again. And now it's the parent hammering the adult child with guilt and the adult child either shuts down or says nothing or, ironically, goes on the attack by slinging guilt-ridden barbs back at the parent for the parent's prior failings. Obviously, this isn't good for the parent-child relationship and makes it very difficult for the child to step up and take control of their life. Have you seen it? Guilt's everywhere. When walking around every day dealing with friends and even family, I see people whose most important life decisions and actions are controlled by guilt. Who they marry, where they live, what their career path might be. Guilt is driving their every action. And this guilt is sneaky. It can attack in the exact opposite way, driving people to complete inaction. They're paralyzed by guilt and completely immobilized by their life journey. Getting these people to take some action, any action, is like trying to pull a mule down a narrow path. It's a mental prison, completely consuming their thought process and ultimately keeping them pursuing their life path. And don't even get me started about the effects guilt has on our health. Do an internet search for physical effects of guilt. You'll get 20 million results. Literally, I just did the research this morning. Headaches, backaches, cardiovascular problems, stomach disorders, depression, immune system deficiency. Good times, huh? Remember that lovable little elf Dobby from the Harry Potter books and movies? Did you know he's part of an unofficial catchphrase the psychology health community uses? It's called the Dobby effect. 
self-inflicting punishment to avoid feelings of guilt. Dobby banged his head against walls, tables, even Harry's kneecap in one scene, I think. Anything to cope. But sometimes people can't cope. And parents, if your kids are listening with you, you might want to call earmuffs here. I had a client some years ago. His wife was putting a lot of stress on him for failing to provide for the family. The kids, who expected a very high standard of living, also put guilt on him for being unable to pay for all the things to which they had become accustomed. The kids and wife left. The guilt was eating away at him at an extremely deep level, and ultimately, he killed himself. Tragedy, just not something that people make good decisions do. But it does underscore the fact that stress and guilt can ultimately cause someone to act in a very deep and profound manner. For some people, just hearing the word guilt triggers a negative emotional reaction. How do you feel right now? I've used the word guilt many times in the last several minutes. Are you starting to get bummed out? What are we supposed to do about all this guilt? And maybe not just in the financial aspect of our lives, but in all facets of our life. I got a couple ideas. First and foremost, acknowledge it. Recognize it. Accept that you have feelings of guilt. Someone who will not acknowledge their guilt will forever be justifying their behavior. Ever met someone like that? Every day it's just another excuse and it just doesn't work. So if you've got some guilt, well, you've got some guilt, okay? Now what? Second, try to identify what's causing it. Guilt is a result, not an event. It's always about something. Ever say to a dog in a dog owner voice, now what did you do? The dog's head and tail will drop faster than gravity. They either have done something wrong or they assume that they must have done something wrong because you're the human. So what's causing the guilt? Is it real? Third, take action. If you did do something wrong, and let's use a financial example here, an impulse purchase of something outside of your spending plan which you can't return. Now, was this purchase yet another instance of overspending? Or was it an isolated incident? If it's a one-time thing, acknowledge the guilt. Recognize that it was a boneheaded move. And as Elsa from Frozen would say, let it go. You're human. It happened. We move on. If it's not an isolated incident, then actually thank God, the universe, whatever you believe, for guilt. Guilt is like a low tire pressure indicator light, but for your life. That light's awesome. Why? Because it gives you information. You have an issue. Bad. You know you have an issue. Good. Good. Now you can take care of it on your terms, not someone else's. Like stopping in a gas station on a Saturday to fill that low tire versus blowing your tire out on the highway in rush hour. Now you've damaged the wheel and now you have to wait two hours for the tow truck to get to you. We're human. Guilt is going to be in our lives. So a long time ago, I made a decision about guilt. For me, I use business imagery and decided that guilt is my employee whose only job is to walk into my office and give me information. I take that information. I address the situation. I thank guilt for the heads up and send it back to its department. How about you? What imagery could you use to flip the switch on guilt and see it as an advantage to have? Something that's actually trying to help you and save you from future pain. And have some fun with it. 
It's your imagery. It can be whatever you want. By the way, in my imagery, guess what department guilt works in? Defense. This is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagan.com. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button in your app. You will automatically get a reminder each time Dave uploads a new episode. Or you can use the app to share this episode with your friends and family. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, we're back. We've got some emails that we want to go through. We've got a little bit of time today. I want to bring in uh, Brian Reed, my good friend. Brian, you've been looking through the emails. You got something interesting? I do here. Um, this is a woman who writes in, Hi, Dave. I'm a sophomore in college. Any advice on which credit card would be best for me? Oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> that's an easy one. The best card for her would be one that's got her parents' name on it. (laughs) (laughs) Anything but one that you are responsible for paying for. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, maybe a a student's going to have a credit card. Um, Maybe it's a, you know, a card on mom and dad's account. But after that, um, she really shouldn't have any. She really shouldn't need any credit cards. Go cash. Have a reserve fund. Just don't be tempted. You know, I I remember back in the day, my freshman year, first day signing up for classes, and there was a a table there for a a credit card company. And so I I didn't know any better. I stopped. And I got myself one of these beautiful blue and white credit cards. And Let me guess, they they were offering something with your school's logo and name on it as like a free t-shirt? It was a wonderful thing. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Happened to me. And before you know it, two months later... The, uh, the credit limit, it's all run up. It was Now, this was a while ago, so it was a $200 credit limit. And I had used it all for beer. I mean, books and, and supplies <laughs> and study stuff. And I carried that with me for, for four years and you know tried to pay it down between uh, undergrad and law school. And I was still paying on that uh, when I graduated and started working as an attorney. So n- no credit cards. Uh, credit to credit card companies like to use students as a as an easy place to get new accounts because they know that a lot of times their parents will bail them out, and they know a lot of times students haven't really thought through, um, a, you know, getting a credit card and actually having to pay it off. So they haven't really gotten burned yet. Not yet. And they're they're new. Yeah. They're fresh meat for the credit card companies. Right. And what's her name is Sonia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just be careful, Sonia. Long term. It's just try and avoid it if you can. Yeah. Maybe have one to start building credit. Now, and that's another thing we should probably find out. If you're actually going to get a credit card to start a credit line only to build your credit score, then that's one thing. If you have the discipline to not use the card or to just make one small purchase a month and make the payment, okay, then you are making a smart choice. You're building a credit history, and that can be uh, to your benefit later on. But you've got to be careful, like Dave said, that balance will build up. And before you know it, you're paying a high interest rate and paying for things now that you enjoyed you know, six months ago. And best case scenario? Get that card with your parents' name on it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on to a let's move on to another email. 
Um, our announcer, Nick, uh, has been looking at uh, some emails. So, Nick, you have an email for me? Yeah, I do, Dave. Um, this one says, Dear Dave, my cousin Steve listens to your podcast, and I have become a quick admirer. I have a current predicament that I hope you could give me some advice to. I currently live in California, and I'm a senior in high school. My cumulative GPA is a 3.5, which is okay, and I've been accepted to a couple of California state schools, but I've been rejected from all of the University of California schools I applied to. My family does not have much money, but they, ha- but they will financially help me up to $10,000 per year, and anything above that will be on my shoulders. So based on this information is my question. Would you advise going to a community college for the first two years and then transferring to a Cal State or UC? Or would it be worth it to spend a little extra money for the quote-unquote college experience and go straight to one of the Cal State schools I applied to? Thanks in advance, Hugo. Hmm. All right, well, thanks for the email, Hugo. Um, let's see what we can uh, come up with. We've, we've got Brian and Nick. we got myself. Let's see what we can put together for you. Um, off the top of my head, first and foremost, I'd say that going to a community college for two years is by far the best um, purchase that you can make in, in terms of education. Uh, the, the cost per unit's pretty inexpensive, and you can spend two years getting all the general stuff uh, out of the way. And these are classes, by the way, that usually um, are not uh, that interesting at a, at a major university because they put a lot of kids in, in, a, in a big uh, study hall. So if you're looking at just the from the dollars and cents point of view, uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense to go to community college for a couple of years, but um, you do miss out on some things. Now, I don't know what the, the college experience means, but um, I imagine that community colleges have beer bashes and, and <laughs> fraternities and sororities like anywhere else, you know. Um, I know that they certainly have a full, uh, full uh, rack of, of, of sports, you know, a full complement of sports programs. Right. So, it's um, actually a meh. good. It's a good position for Hugo to be in. He's got. He's been accepted to both sides. He has options. Yeah. So he got options. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And in California, just so um, people that are outside of California um, don't know, uh, the the California State Schools, pretty good schools. Uh, it's not the University of California, but uh, California State Schools, pretty good, and they're um, a pretty good buy. Um, certainly a lot cheaper than um, uh, private schools. And uh, you get a pretty good experience. You can live on campus. You can live off campus. I mean, you get a pretty good experience at any of these state schools uh, just as well. So um, I don't think he could go wrong, but um, I don't know. I think he could go either way. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I did the community college experience, and I still found to have this quote-unquote college experience. I was with other people my age at the time, which was 18. Uh, I was paying $18 a unit. And now I think it's around twenty-five to thirty dollars a unit. And by the time I was out, uh, it was very affordable. And I know uh, California state schools are going to be a lot more money than that. Right. Right. Well, I, but I think something that's that's not directly addressed in the email, but that is a huge issue, is the student loans. Mm-hmm. He's he's not looking at student loans. That that money from the family is going to cover just about any of these possibilities. And uh, the one thing that I would really warn people against is, you know, getting student loans for a degree. They're non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. The the interest rate on these loans isn't that good anymore. At least for an undergraduate degree. Right, right. When when I, when I came out of uh, undergraduate, I had some NDSL loans, and they were like two or three percent. And they actually sat us down as we were leaving school, and they said, "Now you know, uh, you really have to pay these." 
I didn't think that back then people thought that you really didn't have to pay back a student loan. But at two or three <laughs> percent, you know, it was a couple uh, thousand youth. dollars. It wasn't that much. Yeah, back in <laughs> youth. Yeah. The ignorance of youth. But that's the way kind of it was at the time. So now, um, boy, you have people calling you right away. As soon as you're out of school, they want to know when you're going to get on that path. And if you got too much money, um, especially at the eight or nine percent, we see some of these uh, public student loans going out the door. At that's a that's a real problem. So, fortunately, that's not going to be a problem for Hugo. And uh, it sounds like he's in pretty good pretty good space. Let's, oh yeah. Let's take another one. What do you think? Yeah, let's do one more. Got time for another one? Sure. Brian, what do you got? All right, this one here. Um, little bit uh, interesting. He's got he's out of college a few years. He's got a good job, apparently, and this is from Jeff, uh, apartment, car note, etc. And uh, he's wondering about life insurance and long-term investment strategies. So what is that? I think what he's trying to ask is, which kind of life insurance should he be purchasing? So he's been out of school five years and... Um, yeah, Someone wants years. him to buy some life insurance. He's got a guy telling him he needs to get life insurance. Okay, okay. He doesn't say for what reason. No. All right, well, it seems to me that, um, I mean, really, there's just a couple different types of life insurance. And and um, uh, the, the, the first that you want to think about is term. And, and term insurance is t- having money available to uh, take care of people that depend upon you for support. So if you're a husband with a spouse or if you're... Um, you know, a spouse with a couple of kids and something were to happen to you, who's going to take care of the kids? There, I could see that you need some kind of term insurance. How much? Most experts recommend about 10 to 12 times your, your annual expenses. The thought being that the money from the life insurance policy could be put into a bank and the family could live comfortably for the rest of their lives, theoretically, on uh, the, ins- the interest coming off of that money. Um, so I don't know if he's got anyone that's dependent upon him, but if he doesn't, I'm wondering, does he even need term insurance? Now, some, some agents will say, well, get it now while you can qualify because five years from now you might you know, have some kind of medical condition that would prevent you from doing that. Um, and I suppose there's something to be said for that. But, um, wow, I, I, like, I like money in the bank growing, you know, growing interest rather than um, sitting around waiting for an insurance company. Now, the other kinds of insurance, um, whole life and, and universal type products, those are more investment devices. And so the, the agent will sit down and say, look, this money can grow inside the policy to a certain rate. And by the time that happens uh, in so many years, you'll have more money, et cetera, et cetera. It, if you listen to those presentations, they certainly make sense on paper, but it's really complicated. Again, I'd put money in a bank and and or and buy some mutual funds, some really boring mutual fund that's going to grow at some slow rate um, over some period of time. I I think he'd be better off in the long term. I'm not a big fan of life insurance unless it's term and you have people specifically looking to you for support. That that's just my point of view. Yeah, I'm going to agree. He's got the health insurance. He's got a job. He already has the apartment. As long as there isn't a family member or members requiring his income to survive on, I think you're right. You know, you get a term policy, it's for, ew, should something bad happen, death benefits only, but the rest of it, invest it. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, term life insurance is not all that expensive and it's among the, the best values out there. 
um, you hope that uh, your heirs never have to um, rely upon it. Um, sometimes you feel kind of foolish making a, a payment every month for, you know, to prevent uh, or to protect against something catastrophic happening. But I'll bet you've never heard a um, surviving spouse uh, say, um, wow, um, I wish he hadn't spent that money on that life insurance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just know that I don't want to be the one who gets hit by a bus and as I'm dying, worrying about there's no insurance. Yeah. Why didn't I? Uh, it, w- it was 12 bucks a month and I didn't want to pay it. Yeah, and you're that, buying peace of mind. At that point, as you're as you're looking at the bumper, you you probably don't care too much. Yeah. About <laughs> you know, oh man. Well, that's all we got today. Uh, to our listeners out there, if you want to continue to listen, make sure you hit subscribe so that uh, the podcast uh, program will send you a notice of uh, future uh, podcasts coming out. We're going to do one every week. If you like what you're hearing, refer this to others so that the people uh, that are listening can grow. Uh, that's all we have for this week. This is David. And send Hayden. your emails. Emails, emails, emails. <laughs> emails, emails, emails. With details. The guys like emails with details. <laughs> emails with details. There you go. I like it. This is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagen.com. Until next week, this is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.